We are in Romans. This is week four. Um, Y'all, we just got through chapter one. Give yourselves a hand. Wow. I'm done. It's terrible, y'all. Come on. Give yourselves a hand. You got through Romans chapter one. Um, That was fun, wasn't it? So we're on this thing called the Romans Road Trip. A couple things just before we jump into this, this section today. We, we, we call them rowdy road trip crews. Um, these are like community groups. We, we, want to, we want you to get in one. We want you to either get in one or start one. Um, it's possible that I might start on Sunday morning saying, hey, take five minutes, get in groups of three or four, and talk about what you're learning. I mean, I so desperately want us to engage with the Bible, right? And so if you're just listening to me talk, as great as that is, we're missing out, right? The, the, beautiful, the beautiful thing about the body is like when we, and I know like we've, we've got a crew that comes to our house like every other week, and I just love to s- just sit there and listen to them talk. I usually, usually what I think is I wish you had said that before I preached because then I would have preached better, right? It's just when you hear the body talk about the word and just insights come out, y'all, it's so good. So if you're looking for a group, um, you can go to our, our our website or our Facebook page, um, you can come up to me and say, hey, who can I hang out with? Um, you can start a group. Like if you've got people that like coffee, just get together in a coffee shop and talk about Romans, right? Um, after the first chapter, how many would you agree? There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So we're asking you to ask three questions, um, an information question, an application question, and a transformation question. That sounds really hard, but it's super easy. Here's how it goes. What am I learning? Right? What am I doing about what I'm learning? And how am I changing as a result of doing that? If you've ever tried anything new, you have to learn new information for sure. That's really important, and we make that almost the only thing, right? I memorize these scriptures, and so I'm good to go. But you also have to take that and apply it, right? And then when you do apply it, typically things start to change, and that's that's good. Okay, I think transformation is the one thing that's lacking in the church, the church. And that's why people that don't love Jesus can look at Christians and go, why would I want to do that? I'll just sleep in on Sunday. And this might be too honest, but some Sundays I'm like, that might not have been a bad idea. Right? But there's a reason that we do this. There's a reason we come together. And it's because we are on a journey. We're following Jesus together. We are learning his word. We're learning about him, we're worshiping him, we're digging into what he says, we're applying his truth to our lives. That's what this is all about. So we're not in any hurry. Today we're going to do four verses because last week we did so many, so many verses. Um, So today we're in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to ask you just to stand while we read it. Um, I'm trying to learn to say this all the time now, Natasha. This is the word of God. This is life. Let's open it together. That's from the movie Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it, man, you need to see Jesus Revolution. I think you can rent it everywhere. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the NIV. This is what Paul says. You, therefore, and again, therefore just means make sure you know what he just said. And that's all of chapter 1. Okay, so I'm not going to recap all of that, but it was kind of brutal, wasn't it? He has some strong things to say. He said, you therefore have no excuse. 
you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Okay, God, we need your help. Because there are a lot of words in those verses that we don't like. But there's a message that we've got to hear. And so open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear your truth. Give us courage, God, to live it out when we're done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, high five somebody you're sitting down. Well, that was so awkward. We got we to gotta, we gotta de-church y'all or something. I don't know. High five somebody, please. Just do it for me. High five the person next to you. Thank you. Okay. I feel better now. Air high fives. Uh, this has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, just as we're um, warming up and getting ready for these four verses. Um, maybe we should do that, high five the person next to you, and that should be the test, right? Because the church is not meant to be a movie theater. So if I say high five the person next to you, and you're like, I can't then maybe that should be the sign we should move closer together. I don't know. (laughs) Now, I just said that as I'm standing up here, and, like, if I was sitting on the front row with my introverted self, I'd be like, not today, Satan. (laughs) I thank you for my space. I need a buffer, right? Anyway, all right. So Romans chapter 2. Let me just, we've not been doing big ideas for a while because, I don't feel any pressure to always have one, but let me just give you, if we have a big idea today, here it is. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Where did I get that? Well, we just read it, right? It's right out of Scripture. God's kindness leads us to repentance, and repentance keeps us in the gospel current. So let me explain current. Um, I'll keep coming back to this as, as we're getting used to the Romans thing. Um, I told you that there are two currents that run through the, the book of Romans, and we definitely saw them in chapter 1, right? There's the gospel current, and the gospel current, the way I'm summarizing that is the gospel current is Jesus, um, Jesus rescued mankind on the cross, right? We talk about, I know we talk about it all the time, and we're, listen, we want to say that we're a religious nation. We are a post-Christian nation, so you can't assume that when you use Christian words, people know what you're talking about, right? I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I still remember working in the YMCA in Columbia, South Carolina, wearing a shirt that had Jesus screaming out, it is finished, and a man who was like 200 years old in the locker room walked over to me and said, what does that mean? And I was like, I'm in the, and so I'm thinking, I didn't say this to him, I'm thinking, like, I'm in the South, like what, what? I said, well, this is. This is Jesus. This is what he said on the cross. And these were his words to me. I've been a leader in my church for decades, and I've never heard those words. And I was like, 
oh, snap. Can I, still be a, can I be a man if I say, oh, snap? It just dawned on me, like, I can't believe that, in, that this man could have been in a church all these years as a leader and has never heard it is finished. I'm just saying that because sometimes when we say, like, gospel current or Jesus on the cross, we have to explain what that means, right? So the gospel current is simply saying that Jesus needed to go to the cross to rescue us, y'all, from our sins, to offer us a life of hope and peace and salvation and wholeness. The anti-gospel current, which is so prevalent in culture but also in church. Are y'all okay? Is that man removes Jesus from the cross. That we start to say things like, I, I've, thank you, but I've got it from here. Right? We read a lot of self-help books. Nothing wrong with those. I've read tons of them. Um, I read like anywhere from 50 to 100 books a year. They're all great, usually. Uh, we listen to podcasts. Nothing wrong with those. I have one. Hope you listen to it. We go to conferences. Those are great. We do all of these things. But if we're doing all those things because we've got it from here, then we've missed it. And we have slipped into the anti-gospel current. So the gospel current leads us to salvation. And the anti-gospel current, I hope you're okay with this, it leads us to destruction. Good people and people that you love and I love are in both of those currents. People sitting in church their entire lives that think they're good, according to the stuff we're reading in Romans, they could potentially be in the anti-gospel current. And so we shouldn't wake up and be like, I'm so scared. Am I in the wrong current today? We should wake up and let the fruit of our lives reveal to us which current we're in. Which is why the world struggles with grumpy Christians. Right? Which is why the... I mean, is this too honest? This is why the world struggles with, wait a second, I know people who don't believe in Jesus who are nicer to me than the people who do. Right? And we should not say, well, I'm forgiven, not perfect. Why is that? He said, be holy as I'm holy. I think, I think perfection is an expectation in the kingdom. We got to get to heaven for it, but that's what the current's taking us toward. Right? We should be looking more and more like Jesus as we're in that gospel current. So all that to say, when we get to the end of chapter 1, and I have to think, I'm not trying to be snarky here. I'm just pointing out that the pronouns change. We live in a culture that's all about pronouns, and the pronoun changes. All the way through chapter 1, Paul has talked about they. Right? They and them. And then he switches in the beginning of chapter 2, and he says you. And like it's, I, I told you last week. The end of chapter 1 is like sitting in a family meeting, a family, like when your mom and dad say, we need to have a family meeting. It's like when your girlfriend says, we need to talk, right? And you're like, oh, this is not going to be, let's just break up now, right? When your mom and dad have that family meeting and you walk in, you're so afraid of what's going to happen. And then you sit there and realize that it's all about your sibling, right? And that had a great feeling. It's like so good. You're like, oh, this is great praying for you, you know. But then, did you ever sit in a meeting like that when your mom and dad got finished talking to your sibling and then they turned and their eyes went to you? You're like, ooh. Maybe some of y'all can't relate to that. Do I have any crazy charismatics in the room? Okay. It's okay if you're not. I'm just trying to help people understand. If you're a crazy charismatic and you've ever been in a service where the man or woman of God stepped up and started using, like, the gift of prophecy, word of knowledge, and they were calling people out on stuff, 
and then they pointed the finger at you, that's what we're talking about here. That feeling. I've been in those services. I'm not making a doctrinal statement about it. I'm just saying I've been the person who saw the finger point at me, and you would not believe how fast you can repent of stuff. Right? I mean, it's like I, for, I asked God to forgive me of everything I'd ever done, would do, everything my neighbor had done or would ever do, everything anybody in the room had ever done, just get that man to point the finger away from me. Right? That's where we are right here. Paul has been talking about them. And all the religious people were like, this is so good because they deserve to hear this. They need to hear this. And then God says, you therefore. And the entire church goes, ooh, ooh. And here's what he says. First off, he uses the word judgment a lot. Did you notice that? We don't like that word. Well, let me rephrase. We love that word. People are judgy. Have you noticed this? There wouldn't be a cancel culture if people weren't judgy. We are, in our human nature, we are just judgy people. We make snap judgments all the time. It's not a bad thing. But Paul's going to talk about how there's a difference between how we judge and how God judges. So can I just... Let's see, one, two, three, five. I got five, really quick. We won't even hang out, on, hang out on them long. Here's five differences between God's judgment and our judgment, just based right here. Here's number, number one. His is always based in truth. Ours is almost always based in opinions about truth. Paul said right here, God's judgment is based on truth. Our judgments are based on how we view truth. His judgment is against all of us. Ours is against all of them. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we live in an us versus them culture. We don't have time to go into it, but it's the end result of a blueprint that has been playing out in front of us for the last, well, forever, but we've really seen it the last few years. It's intentional. It's by design. It is to make us fight with each other. And we buy into it when we judge them. God's judgment is against all of us. His judgment is with all knowledge, and ours is with partial knowledge. Have you ever judged somebody incorrectly? Wait, let's make it more personal. Have you ever been judged unfairly? Somebody said something about you, and you were like, you wanted to fight them right away, and you wanted to explain to them all the ways that they were wrong, and they had you misunderstood. We do that to people, too. We make judgments about people just snap judgments based on partial knowledge. When I was growing up, I was a counselor at Camp Lots of Fun. <laughs> this sounds like a joke, but there was actually a camp called Camp Lots of Fun, and it was for special needs, children and teenagers with special needs. That's so dear to my heart, right, because my brother had special needs. And so I remember one time we were playing Duck, Duck, Goose, 
at special needs camp, I mean, at um, Camp Lots of Fun. And so, like, we're sitting around in a circle. This was back when I could get, get down and up quickly, right? So we're in a circle, and there were these two campers. One was Tom and one was Harry. And, and Tom, Tom would um, always say, like, I'm going to stick you. I, he never had anything sharp because Camp Lots of Fun, right? Like, but that's what he, I'm going to stick you. I'm going to stick you. And then Harry was always like, he had this really weird laugh, like, <laughs> And so, one, so like, Harry's sitting there, and then Tom comes up behind Harry and says, Goose. And Harry stands up and starts running, laughing. <laughs> and Tom's going, I'm going to stick you. I'm going to stick you. I'm going to stick you. And then he touched him. And Harry started crying. No, no pen. There was nothing. It was just his finger, but just being touched <laughs> turned into tears. And it was like everybody in the circle who was laughing because it was funny wasn't laughing anymore. Like we can judge people. We can see people a certain way and then one thing happens and everything changes. I want you to know this as believers, we are called to judge. But our judgment has to be based in God's truth, not our opinion. Here's two more differences. He delays judgment. We rush to judgment. We'll talk more about that today. And then he, man, this gets me. Maybe you can't relate, but I can. He judges from a place of authority, and we judge from a place of superiority. Let's think about, like, there's so many scriptures in the Bible where, like, there's parables that Jesus would, he would tell the parable to people who, look down on others, right? I think the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, he said, now to people who look down on others, and he told that parable. And I kept thinking, like, who's the only person who actually can look down on people? It's God. He's exalted above all, right? Jesus, raised up on the cross, looked down on people. Like, y'all, at the cross, the ground is level at the cross, Nobody's, nobody's a little bit better or a little bit worse. Like, we're all in need of a Savior. And the, the only person who could actually look down on people came down to people. Man, that, that does something for me. I'm like, are you kidding me, God? Like, you could have just sat up there in, in right, truthful judgment and damned everybody. But instead of looking down on us, you came down to us. He judges from a place of authority. We judge from a place of superiority. Or do you, last verse, verse 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. Um, if you got your Bibles, flip over to Second Peter, chapter three, verse nine. I've worked up a sweat at camp. Lots of fun. Wow, it's crazy. Second <laughs> Peter, chapter three, verse nine. When I was reading. Um, verses 1 through 4, this is the verse that kept going through my mind. 
Maybe you've heard it before. It says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Tell the person next to you, he's patient with you. Right? That's good. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And as I started reading the the verses that came after that, what I thought was interesting was look down in verse 15, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3, verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He's talking about this. Peter knew that Paul wrote about the kindness of God leading people to repentance and that it was because of God's mercy and patience that he was kind. And he's like, so God's not slow. He's actually being patient so that people can come to salvation. And remember, this is what Paul was writing about. And if you've ever had a hard time understanding Scripture, you'll love verse 16. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them on these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. Listen. As Peter writes here, you'll see over and over again that he says, so if God's judgment is coming, thankfully he's delayed it. He's been patient. He gives us an opportunity to respond to it. But because it is coming, it is inevitable, Peter will say, how then should we live? What kind of lives should we live? And he says, spotless, blameless lives that are at peace with God. He's giving us time to make ourselves ready to live set-apart lives. His kindness leads us to repentance, and repentance keeps us in that gospel current. So when I'm in the current going towards salvation, I'm being formed in the image of Jesus. Um, Maybe we'll do this some other time, but y'all ever played the game Operation as a child? How many of y'all still have traumatic stuff in your brain from playing Operation? My kids are like, I didn't like that game. I got all anxious. But you like, you feel like you got the rubber band almost out, and you hit that thing, right? That's kind of what repentance does for us when we're in the gospel current. When we start to get out of that current, repentance is like, oh, let's get back in. We call them guardrails. I'm just curious, anybody ever driven your car into a guardrail? Okay. Anybody else? Yeah? Back in the day. So last week? (laughs) Before Christ, yeah. Guardrails cause damage to the car, but they save your life. That's the purpose of guardrails. It's to keep you from going over the edge. That's why they put them on the curve, right? And if you hit them, you might get mad that your car's scratched up and dented, and now you got to file an insurance claim, but you're alive to do all those things. Repentance is like that for people that follow Jesus. It, oh, let's get back over and too far that way, right? It keeps us in the gospel current. All the things that we read last week at the end of chapter 1, right? 
the things that you were, you read them, you heard the words, you were like, well, I've never done those things, and I'll never do those things, and I don't want to be around people who do those things. And you felt really good about yourself until we read the things that you do, which is what Paul started with in Romans chapter 2 with. Like, you're judging people, but you do the same things. Like, I've never had an affair. Okay. Porn. That's what Jesus said. If you just looked lustfully, then you had an affair in your heart. Right? Like it gets quiet when we say stuff like that. Because that's what repentance is supposed to do. It's supposed to remind us that, wait a second, oh God, forgive me for being judgmental towards people when I've been doing the very thing that I'm judging them about doing. And I'm convinced, y'all, that the, the church would have a greater impact in our culture if we could all somehow stand up as followers of Jesus at one time and with one voice look at the entire world and say, we are sorry for the way that we've represented Jesus to you. Repentance is a gift, and God's kindness leads us to repentance. Wendy and I are like on this little journey that we never thought we would be on, and so we, we say these words that we never thought we would say, like Sabbath and solitude and silence, like these spiritual practices that are really, really important that I thought only monks did, right? And nuns and losers, <laughs> I was wrong. I'm saying I was wrong. I'm admitting this. I'm repenting right now. But check this out. This is why I like practice like solitude and silence. If you've never tried this, if, you, if you've never tried to like willingly be alone and quiet, like no Netflix, no playlist, just you and Jesus. This is why that's so important, because Psalm says to be still and know that I am God. Maybe I'm the only one, but when I get really quiet, I become very aware that there's one God, and I ain't him. Maybe I'm being too transparent, and you'll recommend a counselor for me. I will take the name. But when I get really still, and I turn off all the noise... My mind typically reminds me of all the ways that I am actually not enough and not adequate. That's what we need to be reminded of because that's why we need a Savior. But we turn up the volume so we can drown out the truth about who we are and are not. But if we would just be quiet... One of the great things about pastoring Pentecostal churches is that if God wants to speak, he has to do it quickly because we will not be quiet long. Every time there's silence in a Pentecostal church, it's like, we can't be quiet too long. Someone's going to say something. Sometimes just, shh, is a good thing. It makes us think about God's judgment, his truth, his 
kindness. Can I just tell you this? Uh, if you're taking down notes, um, boy, I hope this has been helpful. Comparing what we read in Romans 2 and what we read in 2 Peter, the delay of God's judgment is not his approval. It's his kindness. It's his kindness. Forgive me if you've been in our church and have heard this story once or twice, but it's just too good not to tell again. And it's the thing that I think about every time I read Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. When I was growing up as a teenager, um, my dad and I did not get along. I don't know if you have dad issues. I definitely had dad issues. Might still have dad issues. My dad's with Jesus now, and he and I were good when he went to be with Jesus. Like, we're good. But growing up was not good, right? Especially as I got older, like into the college years and even young adult. If you're a young adult and you're living with your parents, we love you and we're praying for you. Right? It's hard to be like you just want to be on your own, but you're not. And you're in a, their house. You want to honor them, but you don't even really, not sure you even like them. I mean, like, I'll just, I'm just saying it out loud so you don't have to. It's, it's a deal. And, and growing up with my dad, we had one thing that we fought about. And we fought about a lot of things. Like, I can remember being on the porch screaming at my dad and him screaming at me, and we were this far apart. Like, you know, when you're in an argument and you're so close that you know their breath stinks, but you don't really smell it? That close. And I remember my mom, who was just like the sweetest lady, just walk out on the porch and be like, Paul, Larry, why are you yelling? And I was like, because she doesn't hear me. Right? Like, I'm just into it. Like, if you've ever been so mad at your mom or dad, I used to, like, please, God, I'm not sure I believe in you, but just make him hit me so I can hit him back. It was not good. Hate is an understatement. And the one thing, of all things we fought about, the one thing we fought about the most was making my bed. Oh, y'all, I don't know where you are on the bed-making scale. I think it's probably good that we make our beds, but I also understand the futility of it all because nobody's going in your room anyway. And you're going to sleep in it the next night. Especially, and I love all of you that love little bed pillows, but why? Why do we put those bed pillows on the bed? No, you don't even let people in, in, go in your room. That's the one place they can't go, but you have these beautiful pillows no one will ever see. And we have to pick them up every day and put them on the bed. Why? I love you. I love you. I'm just saying it out loud for all the people in the room that need counseling. Every single morning, that was the fight. And at first, it was probably because I was a lazy teenager. Not probably. I was a lazy teenager. But at some point, it just became a way for me to just dig at my dad. I just won't make my bed. I went through a season of my life when I got, had to get up really early every morning. And so I would get up, and I was actually working out during this season. And so I had to eat lots of, like, like seven, eight, ten meals a day or whatever. And so I, I would start my day really early with this Big, I mean, it was a massive bowl, and I would put cereal in it, and I would eat it, and just, just me with a bowl of cereal at the front of our house. There's a long, there's a door, and there's a long hall that goes back to my mom and dad's bedroom, and then where I was sleeping and living at the time was a, a guest room. <laughs> he had me in the guest room. I just, it just dawned on me. I think he was trying to send me a signal, too, but I, I was in a room that was halfway down the hall. 
And it was an older house. You could always hear people walking wherever they were. I don't know if you live in a house like that. But, like, you start to learn where the planks are, where to not step if you want to come in quietly after a curfew. I'm not saying that ever happened for me. But anyway, it's you could kind of hear noises in the house. I remember that one morning. I'm sitting there. I'm eating my cereal. And it was things were not good between me and my dad. And he had... He had told me, like, he would always tell me, you better make your bed. You better make your bed. And I would always say, Dad, it's, it's I'm, I, no, I don't want to make my bed because it's my room. And he would always say, well, it might be your room, but it's in my house. You've had the same argument. Yeah. And if you are a teenager in the room, if you are a young adult in the room and you live in your parents' house, I'm just telling you, that's the trump card, right? When they start saying it's my house, you, it's over. You can't win, right? And it is their house. This morning, I'd gotten up, I had intentionally not made my bed, and I had closed my door, right? Because if he opens that door, I think I can sue him, right? I think there's some privacy law, right, that forbids that. I'm eating my cereal, and I heard the footsteps coming down the hall, and I knew it was my dad. Because, you know, like dad footsteps and mom footsteps are different, right? Like mom footsteps are like, I'm bringing cookies, and dad footsteps are like, I'm bringing death, right? <laughs> and so I knew this is my dad. He's coming down. And I listened, and I heard the steps pause. And I, t- I said to myself and the cereal bowl, if he goes in my room, someone will die today. It's, oh, I'm done. It's over. It's my room. He needs to leave it alone. And, I mean, you ever just get so, like, you tensed, I tensed up my, I'm cl- and I'm clenching a spoon. I think the spoon might be cutting my hand, right? I'm so mad. Like, the, your peripheral vision goes white. You're just so hot. And then I heard the footsteps start again. And he got to the end of the hall, and, and I saw the doorknob turn, and he, he opened it, and he poked his head out like this. My dad looks like Bob Newhart. Does anybody know who that is? Bob Newhart? It's like, my dad's like, was almost bald. He had the comb over. And like, comb overs, I don't think are in now, but they were for a season. And it was good, right? And like, he had this comb over. I remember, I remember one time we were swimming in the pool, and like, he came up from under the water. Like, when you're under the water, you come up, you can't even feel your hair. And his, his comb over was now combed down. It was like, I mean, it was long, y'all. I was blown away. And I was like, it was like seeing Noah naked, you know. I was like, Dad, Dad. And he went like under and came back up and it was all fixed. I don't know how he did it, right? But it's like his comb over. And it, when he was early in the morning, his eyes would be puffy. And he kind of looked like a turtle. And he stuck his head out the door. And he said, hey, son. And I said, what? I just, I just want to tell you, I hope you, have a, hope you have a good day. And he closed the door, and I heard the footsteps go back to his room. I don't know what you would have done, but I went and made my bed. Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance not a fight. And it was something about the way my dad handled himself that caused me to do what I needed to do. 
And this morning, what I want to do is I want to bring you to that place. I want you to experience, hopefully, the kindness of God. Because I believe this, that his kindness leads to repentance, and repentance keeps us in that gospel current. And because of who he is, he is patient. He could, he talks about judgment. He does not shy away from it. And he judges based in truth. And so he could judge us now. Oh, my goodness, if he did. Right? He could judge us now, but because we just took another breath, guess what? We have another opportunity to allow repentance to put us in that gospel current and take us to salvation. So I, we were watching something last night. Um, John Mark Comer was, was wrapping up a, a message, a teaching he was doing, and he was like, hey, let's try something. Everybody close your eyes. And I, I, immediately I was like, oh, no. Not this stuff, right? But he just had, and he just kind of led the people he was talking to into this place. And while we were doing it, he was talking about, hey, find a, find a happy a, a place that you enjoy and, like, okay, like, feel where you are and then imagine Jesus comes to you. And, like, it was beautiful, right? Like, we start, I started with, like, yuck, and I ended with, like, you know, that kind of thing. But it made me think about this today. I'm going to ask you to try this with me. Okay, I want you to close your eyes. We're going to keep it silent. I just want you to close your eyes. Now here, this is going to be a little hard. It's, not, it's something that we can all do, but it's not something we're all going to want to do. I want you, with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine a place, a time, when you really messed up. <laughs> For some of us, we're like, I mean, I can pick a lot. Just pick, pick a time when you really messed up. I mean, you knew. You didn't need anybody to tell you that you had failed, that you had disappointed people. You got that place? I have mine. And now while you're there, I want you to, I don't want you to relive it all, but I want you to, I want you to be there. I want you to use your memory and your imagination to remember that time. I know this is heavy, but hang with me. Remember that time. For some of y'all, your, um, your toes are feeling the shag carpet right now. You're smelling the smells. You're seeing the room. Now, you got that place? I want you to imagine that Jesus walks in that room. And he walks right up to you. And he kneels down in front of you. And his face is in front of your face. And while you're there, eyes closed, just use the eyes of your mind. I want you in your mind to open your eyes and see 
his. And ask yourself this question. What are his eyes full of? Because I would say for most of us in the room, we've been, we've been taught to believe that his eyes are full of anger and judgment and disappointment. But based on Romans 2.4, I would submit that in your worst moment, his eyes were full of kindness. Like, this is not who I made you to be. This is not what I desire for you. I want to give you the gift of repentance so that we can walk together to salvation. God, I thank you that you are kind. It does not mean that you don't judge. We will read about that next week. But for today, when you turn your gaze from them to us, when you say, hey, I'm not just talking about bad people. I'm talking about you. When you bring your full attention to who we are and are not, you don't do it vengefully. You do it with kindness. And I thank you that this morning, I, I'm praying that in this room and those that watch this online, I pray that they would have a, we'd have a moment, God, where our eyes lock with yours and we see, oh, when everyone else was walking away, when other people were mad, when they were yelling and screaming and pointing, when I was beating myself up, you looked at me and something about your eyes. I believe, God, without all my heart, this is what Peter saw when he denied you and looked up and saw your eyes. He saw kindness that leads to repentance. And, Lord, my prayer over our church is that we would be led to repentance by a kind God who made us for more than what we're currently in. And that from that place, we would show the world who you really are. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.